moving your career further faster. That's the mission behind Cascading Leadership. Each week, we're bringing you stories of women, immigrants, members of the global majority who have risen to the ranks of senior leadership in the world of business. Get ready to gather the insights of some of the world's best business leaders and apply those to your career. If you're interested in sales and marketing effectiveness, organizational effectiveness, talent strategy, DEI, or HR tech, tune in. We're going to share with you what they don't teach you in business school. Welcome to the show. Welcome to today's special episode of Cascading Leadership. I am your friendly neighborhood talent strategy nerd, Dr. Jim. And uh, today we are going to have a first on our show. So this is actually going to be a teaching episode on the topic of operationalizing a buyer-centric sales process. So in today's episode, seek to accomplish a handful of things. One, we're going to be looking at how do you actually operationalize a buyer-centric process? Two, we're going to talk through what is the actual buyer-seller landscape look like and how should we respond to it as a selling community? Three, we're going to look at what are some models that can be put into play in a relatively short amount of time that's going to generate some pretty significant meeting volume from the seller perspective. And four, how do we actually tailor our outreach so that we're actually bringing our buyers alongside of us and really collaborating in something that makes them the star of the show. So these are the four objectives of this workshop. The reason why this uh, episode is unique is that we're uh, actually taking our first shot at a teaching episode where we uh, tie in some concepts and models and try to share that out with uh, the world of work and in particular sales and marketing professionals who are trying to figure out more effective ways to get in front of more people. How did we actually decide to put this show together? A handful of weeks back, I had uh, posted a LinkedIn status and the question that I posed was, would it be valuable for the audience and my LinkedIn community to have me walk through a process where I was able to generate 40 new B2B customer meetings in a two-week period, and if it would be worthwhile for folks in my community to see the roadmap or at least process that I use to go ahead and generate that level of activity. And obviously, in uh, that effort, we did get a lot of response and there was a lot of interest, so we're finally getting to the point of actually putting this together. And just as a, a note, this is not only a, a riff on some content that I've picked up over the years, but it's actually an operationalized content strategy or operationalized go-to-market strategy that we've put into place versus just a completely theoretical model. So with that being said, I want to lay out some context. And I'm a big context guy. It's actually one of my one of my top uh, strengths when it comes to my Gallup Strength Finders. So I don't think it'll be surprising for many people. So when we talk about operationalizing a buyer centric sales process, what do we actually mean? And before we get into the definition, I think it's important to lay out what the selling landscape and the buying landscape looks like. And we've had numerous guests on Cascading Leadership talk about that. But in broad terms, the situation that sellers are dealing with is that you are getting less and less responses to your outbound emails, fewer and fewer responses to your outbound phone calls to the point of one, two, less than one or 2% 
response rates. So the solution can't be to drive more volume out the door. In fact, if you look at the data uh, post-pandemic uh, and Gong and, uh, and HubSpot and a bunch of other places have actually done the research, Lavender has done some research along these lines as well, is that the actual outbound volume of emails and calls have gone up and the response rates have gone down. So if your primary strategy as a revenue organization is just to push more outreach, you're setting yourself up for failure because buyers are becoming less and less engaged to that level of outreach. And case in point, my current role and throughout various points of my career, I've encountered these droughts where if I'm doing a heavy outbound cadence and that cadence, and when I say cadence, I'm talking about manual execution, not automated execution. But that makes no difference one way or another in my mind. But I've gotten in these cadences where I haven't gotten any sort of response from my buyers. One of the recent examples that I can think of, and a lot of what we're going to talk about actually came out of out of that experience. I think over a 45-day period, I had pushed out anywhere from like 7,000 units of outreach, a phone, email, LinkedIn, any channel that I was using at that point. And with that volume of outreach, I wasn't able to generate a single viable conversation or meaningful conversation or meeting. So that got me to thinking, well, this is not going to work. A transactional way of outreach isn't going to work. And I already knew that going in because I had actually never relied on a transactional approach to build business. Mine has always been more of a longer term relationship oriented approach with the intention that you need to build a solid relationship before you can actually start challenging some of the buyer assumptions that they are coming into a sales process with. So before you can challenge a buyer on any of their assumptions, you need to establish report trust and credibility. And before you can do that, your actual buyer needs to know and trust you. The question that most sellers are thinking about is, how do I establish credibility? How do I get people to know me? How do I get people to understand what I'm about without ever having a conversation? That's the origin story of where all of this discussion is going. One of the important things to keep in mind is that my personal selling style, it's never been a high volume transactional effort. I've always focused on leading with value first, and that can mean any number of things, but it certainly doesn't mean just a, a multi-paragraph vomiting up of all your a value prop as a product or as a company. I, I say all this to set the stage. And if we're looking at, at the buyer landscape, buyers are becoming less and less responsive. Sellers are becoming even more focused on pushing out more outbound activity. Things are becoming more and more transactional from the seller side. But on the buyer side, the response rates to those transactional outreaches is getting lower and lower. So really, from a selling perspective, you're faced with a crisis level problem that you have to solve, which is how do you get better responses from your buying community? So we talk about buyer centricity and operationalizing a buyer-centric sales process. So what does that actually mean? And actually, I referenced this earlier, we need to define what buyer centricity means. And when we're talking about what does it mean or what it means, in the simplest terms, it's making the buyer the hero in their story. And I think that's an important distinction to call out because in most selling organizations, and I might be generalizing, so forgive me if I am, 
most selling organizations, sellers are under the impression that they're the star of the story. They're the hero. And that's simply not the case. Our job is to be obsessed with the problem that the customer is trying to solve versus our solution. And actually, I was in a conversation with Mitch Stein, who is the CEO and founder of Pond. And that was one of the realizations that he had when he was working on accelerating his product, which was, hey, the more I became obsessed with the customer problem, the more resonance I got in being able to accelerate growth of the actual solution. And that's an important lesson for sellers to be aware of too, is that we need to be obsessed with the buyer problem versus obsessed with our solution. And that gets us in the right frame of mind. So if we agree that the pathway to success is buyer centricity, then we also need to agree that the mindset, and Steve Watt talks about buyer centricity and, and executing buy, buyer centricity in a few ways, says it's a combination of mindsets, tool sets, skill sets. And if we're looking at making the shift into a buyer-centric model and actually operationalizing that model, what does that mean from a mindset perspective? It means that many sales organizations are going to need to shift how they go out in the world from an SDR, an account executive, an enterprise account executive perspective to fundamentally change how they're actually doing their outreach to bring their buyers and resonate more effectively with their buyers. In this conversation, we're going to actually talk through how do you actually execute that? How does deploying this buyer-centric model allow you to generate massive engagement and meetings in a short amount of time. One of the things when we're looking at from a mindset perspective that needs to be done is that we need to be shifting the way that we go out in the world. And, and I reference what Mitch had said, uh, Mitch Stein had said earlier, we need to be obsessed about the customer problem versus our product. There's also some underlying attributes that we need to really harness or competencies that we need to really harness, which is curiosity and authenticity and how we reach out. We need to be genuinely authentic in how we present ourselves, even before we're entering into a selling conversation. But ultimately, the most important thing is to be super curious about what the problem is or what the problem the customer is trying to solve. I would argue as sellers, for us to actually effectively pull that off, we need to care more about solving the problem that our customers have than our commission checks. So let that sink in for a minute. Yeah, How many of us are engaging in a selling process where we are more concerned about getting the deal versus solving the problem. We might be solving the problem in a tangential way, but we're actually going out and pushing our customers in to a, a solution that we've defined as the solution versus something that they've logically come to understand is the appropriate solution for them. Josh Braun, who's all over LinkedIn and TikTok, always talks about the zone of resistance and how sellers are just innately or not innately, they've been conditioned to persuade. And when you're actually actively trying to persuade your audience into one thing or another, that actually defies the natural dynamics of human relationships. Humans hate being persuaded. We need to be careful in terms of how we're actually going through the selling process and buyer centricity is a pathway for us to avoid some of those pitfalls and avoid the friction that often happens when we are more concerned about our outcomes and our commission than solving the customer problem. So let's talk about how do you shift the mindset and what's the mechanisms that we can actually pull together to help shift that mindset and actually execute a model that's going to actually drive more results. And if you think back to 
some of the early things that I mentioned, email rates are down. Email response rates are down. Phone response rates are down. LinkedIn response rates are down. So we have all this outreach that's going on. How do we actually put ourselves in a position to not only understand what our customers are going through, but even more simply, just get people to talk to us? Like you can't understand a problem if you can never get somebody to respond. So how do we actually operationalize something that's going to help us have more conversations? And that's actually what we're going to spend most of our time talking through in this session. So I'm going to actually share these models. And for those that are watching on, on YouTube, you'll be able to see it. And I'll describe it for those in the podcast. There are three models that I'm going to talk through. And all three of these seek to help us shift our mindset and outreach into a more buyer-centric model. So there are three models that we're going to talk through. And one is going to be an outbound play. Another one is going to be a prospecting play. And another one is going to be just building out an overall curiosity model. I think when we're, let's start with the curiosity model and how we actually implement that within an organization. So we want to shift to being more of a buyer-centric selling organization. So how do we do that? How do we shift from being transactional to being much more of a curiosity-based outreach model. So I've, I've built this and I've also executed this, but this is my version of stuff that I've learned from Andrei Zinkovic, Vladimir Blagojevich, who are two of the founders of the Full Funnel ABM group. Andy Culler also has a, a role to play in this model, and we'll get to that in a little bit. So this is stuff that I've picked up from them probably about a year ago, and I started operationalizing it from that point forward. Now, I've had some version of this in my tool set that I always used. In fact, in one of my previous roles in the staffing industry, I was able to actually bootstrap or actually build out a uh, staffing division from zero clients and zero revenue to roughly an $8 million business using a version of this type of outreach. And for those unfamiliar with staffing, highly transactional industry, it is truly one of those sectors where emails and phone calls are really the channels that most staffing uh, professionals use to get in front of people. You see very few people leaning into some other channels that, that drive customers to them. So getting to this model, for those that are listening, what I'm going to do is actually describe some of the events and flows so that you can at least mentally conceptualize what we're talking about. One of the first shifts that needs to happen is changing the mindset from a transactional deal-driven, sales process-driven outreach to more of a curiosity and authenticity-based outreach. So this process actually allows an organization to create a flywheel on their outreach approach. So all of these things create a loop that allows you to continuously iterate through the selling process or the selling stages and always be gathering information regardless of where a customer is in the funnel. And it hinges on really leveraging trigger events. So that's anything that happens that catches your interest or happens in the buyer landscape that you want to prompt a response from. So for example, the starting point in this model is you have a trigger event that occurs, and this might be something that impacts the company, something that impacts the industry, something that impacts the economy, whatever. You can define what a trigger event is. And as soon as that trigger event happens, is that you pull a list of your accounts that are going to be impacted by this trigger event. So that's the first step in this curiosity and, and buyer-centricity operational model that we're going to talk about is 
watch for your trigger events, pull your appropriate list. And then once you have the list pulled, you're going to start your outreach across all available channels that you have to reach out to those customers. So let's stop there and define out what sort of tech stack and what sort of outreach approach and what sort of what sort of account list you should have. So from a tech stack perspective, when I actually executed this, it was a pretty lean execution. So we used G Suite as our email provider. I had LinkedIn as uh, one platform. We had sales intel for contact info and some intent data, but the intent data was a little sketchy. CRM was Zoho. Any CRM would work in that environment. So you're talking about a pretty lean stack. You have whatever email that you have, you have some sort of contact database or, or contact Intel. In our case, it was sales intel, but Zoom info I've used for the same stuff too. Sales navigator and a CRM. So we're talking about nothing, no automation, no cadencing tools, anything like that. So when you're actually doing your outreach, you're going to send out emails, you're going to drop phone calls, you're going to send out LinkedIn messages that's tied to the shift in strategy. Now, the other part that you want to pay attention to, so we're talking about trigger events, pulling your list and sending out outreach. And this is where some of the stuff that Vlad and Andre and Andy have talked about in the past, the general feeling is that you're going to use you know, a volume play. And what I actually did was use a focus play. Andy Culligan often talks about the 111 model to execute some of this stuff, which is one marketing person, one salesperson, and one SDR. I actually executed this with my marketing counterpart and myself. So we didn't have an SDR. So that was a mo- more recent example. And then prior to that, basically, I had to play the role of marketing and SDR and AE. So you can be a one-person show and still pull this off. Now, the other element that you have to consider is what's my account list look like? In this particular example, there's so many accounts that fit in our target criteria that it would be impossible to get a level of focus across the vast number of accounts that we had. So we actually drilled it down and made it really small. So we picked one industry, one vertical, and 20 accounts within those industries and verticals. So it's a very small list. And we're probably talking about a buyer population of maybe 150, 200 potential buyers. So that's the layout. What's the list that you're working with and what's the tech stack that you need? We've watched the trigger event. We've pulled the list. We're starting your outreach. And then what's the first thing that happens is that when you've actually done your outreach, the next trigger event is waiting for that prospect to respond. If they don't respond, you just put them back in your funnel and you wait for the next trigger event. If the prospect responds, they can respond in one of three ways. They can say, this is relevant. This is not relevant. Or if they don't respond or don't say anything, say uh, they give you something like a thank you, you can call that a neutral response. So in each of those, especially if you actually get a reply, you have to reach back out and get clarification from them on the reason for the response. So if they say, hey, this wasn't relevant, it is incumbent and critical for you to activate your curiosity call that prospect and ask them, hey, you mentioned that this wasn't relevant. Was there anything in particular that stood out in how I reached out to you? Is there something else that would be relevant? So this is a way to actually operationalize ongoing discovery. If they say it was relevant, you're going to actually send any sort of detail for additional information that you're trying to hook them with to them as a call to action. Hey, I sent you this 
you had said that you'd be interested in this particular event or uh, promotion that we're doing. Here are the details for it. You get that in front of the customer as soon as you can, and then you're going to be in waiting mode. And each of these things or each of these stages, you're actually going to be documenting what's happening. So you're building sort of a dossier for this prospect. You're building a map of what is relevant to this particular customer. That requires a level of discipline. And that's why when I actually operationalize this, I used a smaller group so I can manage that level of outreach where I'm constantly trying to figure out what's relevant, what isn't. And so I can actually figure out what's important to this particular customer. One of the things that we always talk about from a sales perspective is that hey, we need to know the buyer journey. We need to know what's important to the buyer. What's the best way to find out? You ask them. And this is a way for us to get in the habit of asking what's important to that buyer, which will help us down the road in positioning a particular product or service to meet their need or problem that they're trying to solve. So here's just a recap. We've noticed a trigger event. We've built our account list. We've done our outreach. We've gotten a prospect response, whether that's positive or negative. We're actually following back up to find out the why behind their response. If it's a positive response, we're actually sending them the materials that are relevant to their positive response. And now we're actually going to wait for them to act on what we sent. So for example, if your outreach had to do with a webinar that you're putting, your outreach, once they say, yeah, I'm interested, is to make sure that they register. So what do you do if they register? If they've executed that call to action, then you're going to move them further along in the process. If they haven't executed, then you're going to reach back out to them and ask, hey, is this still relevant to you? And find out why or why not behind their lack of response. So again, this is creating a flywheel within a flywheel of you operationalizing your curiosity to find out what's important and validating what's important for that customer. So let's say they've ex executed that call to action and signed up for the webinar or whatever the event was that you were promoting. Once that event has been completed, part of your cadence should be reaching back out to them and getting their feedback on what was relevant about the event. What did they take away from it? How does this impact your initiatives that you have in place? All these different things. So what you've done now is you've created this loop. And even though the diagram that we're looking at doesn't look like a loop, this has places in it where it loops back and you're constantly updating what's in that record so that you're getting more and more visibility into what's relevant. And then once you have that visibility, what you're doing is looking at, okay, what are the patterns that I see here? This prospect is always responding to this particular type uh, call to action, these type of events that cover this topic. What does that tell me about what's going on in their environment? And that, again, gives you an opportunity to do outreach in a relevant way and create a conversation, build a relationship, activate your curiosity, and gain insights that you need to be much more of an effective seller. So that is the model that we put into place. And this was actually the, the model that when we, act, when we activated it, this is what led to us being able to generate 40 meetings in uh, a period of a couple of weeks. And those meetings eventually turned into opportunities and there were actually uh, a number of deals that came out of it. So what's the actual outbound play that we put into place? Let's talk through that a little bit. And, and the next thing that we're going to talk about is the actual plays that we used. And I think one of the important things to talk about when we're talking about 
outbound plays. It's really what are you doing to capture the interest of that prospect and doing it in a way that brings them alongside you versus creating this oppositional dynamic. One of the things or one of the responsibilities that we have as salespeople is to establish rapport, trust, and credibility. And we have to get those buyers or get the buyer to know and trust us. So that doesn't happen overnight, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it has to take a long time. You can actually execute this in a a pretty short amount of time. And and as I mentioned earlier, once we put this into play, we were able to generate 40 or so meetings in a couple of weeks. So one of the things that I've always done, even before more recent roles, is that I've always relied on my market knowledge and my ability to actually interview from a researcher's perspective, customers and potential customers to gauge what is important to them. Two of my approaches are always going to be some sort of market research approach or some sort of content collaboration approach. And the reason why that's important is that it actually allows you to get a deep understanding of what's going on in the customer's world. And it also allows you to spotlight what's going on or what's important to them and give them a platform. So I'm big on making our customers the stars of the show. I I write a lot. I have a podcast. I have a bunch of other things that I do too that are all designed for me, being the talent strategy nerd that I am, to get a deep understanding of what sort of talent strategy challenges is the particular person I'm talking to dealing with. So when you talk about the overall content collaboration play, how do you actually execute it? Well, again, this is an offshoot of that earlier model that we talked through. You have your trigger that prompts you to go ahead and get your list of accounts or contacts that are impacted by that trigger event. And you're going to reach out to them about a particular piece of research that you want to conduct or a particular piece of content that you want to develop that is relevant to their world. So it could be, hey, there's the great resignation going on. How are you navigating that challenge as an HR leader or talent acquisition leader? Or it could be something along the lines of, what are your key priorities from a strategic initiative perspective for this year? It could be any number of things. You can run this in two different ways. You can run it as a straight content collaboration play, or you can run it as a survey play. And the survey play is actually what I open with when I'm going this route. And the reason being is that it allows us to get three to five questions in a very short amount of time that gives us insight into what are the biggest priorities within the buyer's world. So typically when I'm actually doing a a survey outreach play, a market research play, this is not a full out detailed market research like a marketing team would do. I would identify probably four to five questions that are critical for me to know about their strategic initiative and what they're focused on. And I would actually do my outreach over the phone, over LinkedIn, and over email with the intent of booking roughly an 11-minute interview where I'm actually going through and understanding the key initiatives that they have in play. Then I take all of that information that I've, I've gathered in an interview process and then document that as future triggers. So if, if a buyer says, I'm really interested in the impact of the economic slowdown and how that's going to impact diversity initiatives or whatever the issue might be, I know that there's two things that this, uh, this buyer is concerned about. 
diversity initiatives on one hand and economic slowdown on the other hand, and probably talent strategy from an overall perspective. So anytime that I would see content that's either out in the wild or our marketing team generates that falls into those categories, I'm going to send that out to that prospect with the intent that this is content that's going to help them answer those questions that they have and move their, move their initiative forward independent of them ever having to work with us. And that's critical. So we talk about how do you operationalize a buyer-centric sales process? The way you do it is that you need to be able to give value, drive value, relevant content, market intel, market insights. You got to give two or three times more than what you're asking. So this means you can't be self-serving in that effort. If a customer says, these are my initiatives, whether that lines up with, with things that you're looking to deliver from a product perspective, you have a responsibility to stay on top of that and drive content that's relevant to them since they've shared those insights with you. And that's the critical mindset shift that needs to happen. Not only are you operationalizing your curiosity when you're actually doing outbound, but now when you get the information that you need, that gives you insights into what's important for the customer, you have to be generous with that intel that you've gathered and share the pieces of information that's going to help them drive those initiatives forward. And that is a game-changing dynamic that happens if you actually pay attention to it. So that demonstrates that you're actually listening to what the customer told you. And if you look at all of the customer surveys that are out there. One of the biggest complaints that customers have is that buyers don't listen to us. They're on their own agenda. They want to go ahead and push us into any sort of direction that they want. So they don't really pay attention. They're listening to go ahead and push product instead of listening to understand what we're dealing with and help us solve what we're, we're, we're trying to solve. So that critical piece, once you've actually done the survey and gathered visibility into the initiatives that are important to this customer, it's critical that you're actually creating a mechanism in place where you can actually drive content to them that's relevant to the problems that they're seeking to solve. Now, the next step, once they've engaged in that content, you need to follow up and find out why that's relevant. And you need to be having a reporter's mentality. Who, what, when, where, why? Was this piece of content relevant? What additional content would help you move the ball forward? And then once you recognize some patterns happening about the type of content that they're engaging with, that creates an opportunity for you to pivot to a formalized meeting where you can potentially get deeper into a curiosity conversation with that customer and understand what they're actually uh, trying to solve. This is how you leverage market research and content collaboration as a mechanism to do ongoing di discovery, but more importantly, have more productive conversations through all eight stages of the... So this might be coming across as if we're only doing this for top of the funnel, but this is actually relevant for all stages of the funnel. And that's the other part of it that is so critical about content collaboration and market research as a mechanism for driving conversation and gaining customer insights. And most importantly, building strong relationships is that it gives you a flywheel for constantly being able to engage with their customer and understand what they're dealing with. And for salespeople that are interested in building relationships that last, but also relationships that give you the space to challenge some assumptions, this is gold. This is something that should be operationalized, should be deployed on an ongoing basis. It's certainly better than the connect and pitch 
cadence that the volume advocates are always cheering about. So all of this can be executed primarily over phone, email, and LinkedIn. So there isn't really a lot of mystery to how you actually execute it. It's a question of, hey, you need to really think about what your buyers are trying to solve. And if you don't know, that could be the basis of a, a starting point. Survey them, ask them, hey, what, I want to get a good understanding of what it is that you have on your radar that you're trying to solve. We're trying to do some market research to better serve our customer base. Would you be open to participating? That was essentially the message that I went out with when I did the one 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 ten model. Yeah, one one industry, one vertical, ten accounts. Except I actually used twenty, and I was the playing the role of SDR and AE. And a lot of my initial meetings came out of that outreach that led to the survey meetings. And you had a pretty high conversion rate of where I was able to generate 40 meetings of survey info. And that allowed me to just stack my pipeline with a lot of relevant detail or relevant initiative insights that I could leverage to move further down the funnel. Now you always have something to talk about. And that's one of the areas that that salespeople always struggle with is, hey, when I'm doing my follow-up, what do I have to talk about? This actually maps out what's important to that particular buyer and allows you to build expertise within a niche. There's two reasons why you want to take a targeted focused approach. I referenced 1110 or 1120 is because that is what allows you to focus and build expertise within a niche. And if you do that, you become the expert in that niche too. So it serves multiple purposes. You're starting to gain intel And that intel is going to shape your outreach, which is going to actually put you in position to be more effective when it comes to your outreach. Now, when it comes to LinkedIn, how do you actually execute it? It's pretty similar. You identify your most viable prospects. So you have to filter. You're not going to try to call everybody. You're going to follow them for visibility. You're going to look at all of their activity and what's important to them. So you're actually front-loading some intel before you actually engage or move through it, then you're going to engage with their content. You're going to connect with them after that. And then you can actually execute all of your plays that flow from your curiosity model that you've built or your curiosity flywheel that you've built in your market research or content collaboration plays. People might be sitting back and thinking, that's going to take forever. And I would argue, no, it's not. My marketing counterpart and I, when we actually built this out and deployed it on a pilot basis, we spent one week identifying our list and identifying our buyers. And then the next week using LinkedIn, phone, email, the outreach across all of those channels, we got rolling. And in a two-week period, like I said, booked 40 meetings. We built a lot of intel. And then out of those meetings, we were able to generate opportunities and that eventually led to pipeline and, and deals. And again, this model works. It worked. It, it, it works now. In my current role, it worked in my previous role, and it's worked throughout my career, although it's gotten more refined. And so there's a number of different ways that you can actually deploy it. And again, if you're looking for actually the experts of actually executing this on a large scale, I would highly recommend reaching out to uh, Vlad and Andre's Full Funnel. Andy Culligan is also very skilled at this. I actually picked up and modified this for my own purposes from stuff that I learned from them more than a year ago. So when you're looking at how do I navigate a seller landscape 
where nobody wants to talk to me. My emails aren't getting responded to. My calls aren't getting responded to. My LinkedIn messages and outreach isn't working. How can I actually change all of that and actually move my deal cycle and my pipeline and grow my pipeline and do all the things that I need to do and just simply drive more conversations? The model that I walked you through, where you're building a curiosity flywheel, and then you're operationalizing it with a content collaboration and market research outreach play. These are what's going to change how you actually interact with a buyer and by extension, how you go from a transactional selling organization to a buyer-centric selling organization that seeks to reduce the friction in the selling process. So hopefully... This entire session was useful. In this session, like I mentioned, we defined out what buyer centricity means. We defined out and actually walked through a couple of different models where you can create a curiosity flywheel and an outreach flywheel that actually drives a ton of conversations. And then the actual proof point is when this was executed, and I've been executing some version of this for years, but most recently when this was executed, I was able to generate using a content collaboration and a market research play 40 meetings with new prospects in a two-week period, focusing in on one industry, one vertical, 10 to 20 accounts, and doing my outreach focused across those criteria. And that generated some massive results and massive pipeline. I hope this is useful. If you want to drive more conversations, you have to be focused on being buyer-centric. And rather than have it be some sort of cliche buzzword, this is how you actually operationalize it and demonstrate your actual curiosity and caring about the buyer environment. And this demonstrates your openness and your willingness to, to learn first, to understand first, instead of just purely pushing product. So thanks for joining us. Hopefully this uh, teaching episode where we operationalized a selling model was useful. Hopefully this special episode of Cascading Leadership is something that is going to be impactful for you. Let me know if you have questions or how it works, how it works for you when you actually deploy it. Looking forward to seeing uh, your success when you put this out into play. If you have any questions or if you want to find us, we are on LinkedIn. We're on all your podcast major podcast platforms. We're on YouTube. We're on Facebook. We're on TikTok. We're not on Instagram because that's for food picks only. So thanks again for joining us on Cascading Leadership, and we will talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cascading Leadership. We hope you enjoyed the story as much as we did. Make sure you subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast player. Follow us on YouTube, TikTok, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Leave us a review. Tell a friend. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, reach out to me at jim at cascadingleadership.com. Tune in next time for another great episode that will help you move your career further faster.